seemed to me like it was a long way off. It, it looked like an insurmountable barrier, all the things they had to top. And I don't think anybody thought it was imminent. I didn't really pay much attention to it. I was busy. The golf and the fishing and the hunting and the trips. And I was having a good time. I was going to do what I was doing and await developments. In 1949, Bill Gargan appeared in Dynamite for Paramount Pictures. It would be his last film until 1956. On March 3rd, he appeared on Guest Star. comedy called Husband Sitter, written especially for his appearance on this program by Harry Lawrence. Of course, you know what a babysitter is, but did you ever hear of a husband sitter? <laughs> Dorothy Winfield thought that one up. The husband she wanted someone to sit with was her poker-playing husband, Albert. So she called in her young nephew, Butch, and explained the whole idea. So you see, Butch, this is a new idea. And you're the world's first husband sitter. Aren't you thrilled? Uh-huh. Now, you know what you're to do. Sure. Stick with him. Keep him out of trouble. That's right. Oh, careful. Here he comes. Uh, hello, Butch. Going out, darling? Yes, Albert. Tonight is my sewing class, you know. Oh, well, happy hemstitching. Well, you won't be lonesome, dear, because Butch is here to keep you company. Yes, I'm afraid he is. Why does my brother have such repulsive little nitwits? It runs in the family, clabberhead. Oh, there's Madeline now. Goodbye, dear. Be a good boy, Butch. Okay. She isn't fooling me. I know why she had you come over. Why? To keep me from playing poker with the boys. She says it's too expensive. Huh. It's all right for her to go out. Her sewing class. Last night, she yanked out all the white hairs in my mustache. She thought they were basting threads. Ha, ha, ha. All right, so you heard it on the radio. Go turn the radio on and hear some more. I don't want it. I hope that's your folks wanting you home. Hello? Oh, hello. It is? You are? Well, uh, uh, I'm uh, very much interested in your proposition, but uh, at the present moment, I'm unable to participate. However, if you will hold the deal open for a short time, I may be... Uh, uh, yes, yes, that is correct. I believe that satisfactory arrangements can be made uh, very shortly. Uh, yes, yes. Goodbye. Uh, little business deal. I know. It was Joe and Pete and Fred, and they want you to play poker. Hmm. When your father and I were boys, I almost killed them once. Now I look at you and wonder, why didn't I? Well, let's play a game, Uncle Al. Go away. Go stick your head in the garbage grinder upper, and then press that little white button. No, let's play a game. All right, then. We'll play uh, hide-and-seek. Uh, now, you hide your head in the Davenport there and count up to 10,000. And you come out and find me. Okay. One, two, three, four. Get out of sight. What a kid gets wise. Oh, whew. I can't run any farther. Oh, I sit down on this bench. Oh. 
That was a nice little run we had, wasn't it, Uncle Al? Oh, you can't win. You can't win. Well, now that we're back home, what next, little poison? Aunt Dorothy said you'd help me with my arithmetic. Why, certainly. Uh, two plus two is four. Now get lost. Here's the first problem. If a hen and a half lays an egg and a half in a day and a half, how many eggs will six hens lay in seven days? If a hen and a half lays an egg and a half... Oh, listen, that's silly. Go tell the teacher it's silly. I gotta work it. Well, let me get the rest of it. How many hens will six eggs lay in seven days? No, no, no. I I'll read it again. If a hen and a half lays an egg and a half in a day and a half, how many eggs will six hens lay in seven days? If a hen and a... Now, look. How could a half a hen lay an egg? If it was the right half, it could. Well, a hen and a half, uh, six times seven is... Uh, uh, listen, wouldn't you rather hear a nice bedtime story? Snow White and the Seven Twerps. Now, once upon a time... Oh, I knew was you snow... couldn't work at Featherhead. It takes brains to do fifth-grade arithmetic. I'll show you if I've got brains or not. Thank goodness the grocery store is still open. Come on. We're going to take some more exercise. There, now. Is that the correct answer? Yeah. I guess you got it all right. In here, in the kitchen. Wait till she sees the mess we've made. Brother. What are you doing? Oh, my kitchen. Uh, we've been working on an arithmetic problem. Oh, all these pots and pans. All those eggs. And what are you doing with one, two, three, four, five, six breast chickens? Well, it's very simple. We went to the grocery store. I bought six frozen chickens and three dozen eggs. The grocer thought he was crazy. I could easily be persuaded to agree with him. Well, we cut all the chickens in half, and we boiled the eggs and cut them in half. But why? Well, I can now tell you the answer to this problem. If a hen and a half lays an egg and a half in a day and a half, how many eggs will six hens lay in seven days? I don't know. Twenty-eight eggs. And how much did it cost you to find out... $17.87. Oh, from now on, play poker. It's cheaper. I never saw anybody say Oh, oh. And that's why the Winfields have been having fried chicken, roast chicken, boiled chicken, stewed chicken, curry chicken, chicken hash, chicken giblets, and chicken croquettes these last two weeks. Now you know the story of the world's first and last husband sitter. <laughs> Gargan for an amusing performance. And now, friends, before we bring Mr. Gargan back again for a curtain speech, here's Harry Sosnick and the Savings Bonds Orchestra playing Russian Lullaby. That year, he was in New York City when he phoned acquaintance Frank Folsom of RCA. Folsom invited Gargan for lunch. He went to the 53rd floor of 30 Rockefeller Center. Inside were executives from BBD&O, the New York Stock Exchange, and others. 
during lunch, Gargan mentioned that he was looking for a job in TV. Folsom phoned Norm Blackburn, VP of TV and Radio at NBC, and also a good friend of Gargan's. Gargan was asked if he'd be interested in playing a pipe-smoking detective, sponsored by the U.S. Tobacco Company. The show became Martin Kane Private Eye. It would be shot for TV and separately done for radio as well. Mutual Broadcasting carried the radio series. It debuted on Sunday, August 7, 1949 at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meanwhile, the TV version aired on NBC Thursdays at 10 p.m. It was live, and the first detective series on network TV with an enormous following. Gargan realized early on that there was only so much you could do with a plot in a half hour, so he made the series a showcase for himself. He developed a tongue-in-cheek style. Kane's 37.8 TV rating for the 50-51 season was 12th overall. The makers of those four distinctively different pipe tobaccos, Old Briar, Dale's Best, Model, and Tweed present Martin Kane, Private Eye, starring William Gargan.
First name is Shirley West. For 20 years, you were the confidential secretary to John Bixby. And according to the terms of his will, you're one of the major beneficiaries. Now, what can I do for you, Miss West? Major beneficiary? Major suspect? Suspect for what? The murder of John Bixby. Oh, now, wait a minute. According to the papers here, John Bixby was killed during the commission of a robbery in his home. Well, that's for public consumption, Mr. Kane. Privately, the police believe that Mr. Bixby was cold-bloodedly and intentionally murdered. And on what do they base that theory? Well, I don't know, sir. I do know that I've been very closely questioned, as have been the others mentioned in the will. I see. Now, about John Bixby, uh, what business was he in? Well, Mr. Bixby was an inventor and a very successful one. Mm-hmm. Any family? Only a, a nephew, Carl Bixby. Mm-hmm. No other relatives? None whatever. Mr. Bixby was a very lonely man. Now, as regards to the robbery, was there anything of value taken? Well, nothing was taken, Mr. Kane. As a matter of fact, aside from the furnishings, there's nothing in the house of actual value. Well, what about the safe? Well, Mr. Bixby kept anything of real intrinsic worth in his vaults downtown. Mm -hmm. The safe contained nothing but his will and his diary. Did you know the combination to the safe? Yes, I did, Mr. Kane. Do you know the contents of the will? Yes, I do, Mr. Kane. Well, uh, can you tell me who else is mentioned in the will? Well... There's uh, Shirley West. She gets uh, half of the estate. And then there's Steve Jensen, a massager. Uh, masseur. Yeah. Yeah. What is this, a French lesson? One who administers massage is a masseur. Oh, I see. Well, anyway, Steve Jensen, a rub-down artist, supposed to have known him for 15 years, gets uh, one quarter of the estate. And then there's this uh, Rhonda Noble. Oh, a most attractive young lady. Yeah, she's a nightclub singer with what you call operatic ambition. Uh, Mr. Bixby's protege. Yeah, yeah, protege. Well, mark her down for a quarter of the estate. Yes, sir. And then there's a $10,000 bequest to his nephew, Carl Bixby, customer's man with uh, Henry Hackett's firm. Oh, got that, sir. And then, Sergeant, down here, way down on the bottom, below his signature, and below the signatures of the attesting witnesses in what looks like his own handwriting, it states, I make the following additional bequest of $25,000 to my friend Henry Hackett. Henry Hackett, broker. That's the list of suspects, the only people in the world who could benefit by the death of John Bixby. Oh. That's Shirley West, secretary. Yeah. Steve Jensen, masseur. Right. Rhonda Noble, singer with Check. operatic ambitions. Mm -hmm. Carl Bixby, nephew, customer's man for Henry Hackett. Yeah. And Henry Hackett, broker. Yeah. Oh, who let you in? <laughs> oh, hi. Oh, quick flash of the badge, a few well-chosen words, and here I am. You dig up a client out of that bunch? Correction, Captain. The client dug me up, Miss Shirley West. Oh, yeah? Sergeant. Take this well down to the laboratory and have it looked over, but looked over good. Uh, yes, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Kane. Bye, Sergeant. What's the picture here, Captain? The picture is murder, Marty, with a fancy frame around it. And the fancy frame is a phony burglary setup. Now, uh, would you care to sort of uh, elucidate on that for me, Captain? Elucidate, eh? Yeah. You talk like Sergeant Ross. Mm -hmm. All right, I'll elucidate. This place was broken into, but whoever did it was no burglar. The locks were jimmied by a rank amateur. Mm -hmm. The locks, huh? Yeah. What about the safe? That's just it. The safe was open better than any professional could do it. Get the figure? Mm, not yet. Well, you see, whoever opened that safe knew the combination of it. And uh, 
tried to make this look like a burglary. Oh, no, wait a minute. According to Miss West, the only thing of value in that safe was the uh, will and the diary. Yeah. Yeah. That puts a poser on it, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, why should anybody want to break in here and then uh, open that safe? You're supposed to be a detective. Why, huh? Well, I don't know. Uh, except maybe to get a peek at the will, and then if they stood to gain by it, why, let them have it. Yeah, that's what we'd say. Mm -hmm. Except that when we questioned them, we found out that everybody knew what was in the will. Everybody that is except Henry Hackett. Uh -huh. Anybody hear the shots? Well, the servants did, but they're all way over on the other side of the house. By the time they got here, the intruder was gone. I see. Now, let me ask you something else, Marty. How long do you think a burglary like this would last? Well, I'd say, uh, oh, wouldn't last or take over 20 minutes. Well, this one took over two hours. Over two hours? That's right. Well, now, how would you know that, Captain? Well, it's uh, simple, my dear Marty. You know that uh, massager? Yeah. Steve, uh... Jensen. Jensen, yeah. yeah. Well, he was here last night about 9 o'clock. Gave the old man a rub down, then sort of tucked him into bed. What time did he leave? Left here at 10 o'clock, exactly, by that uh, clock. You know, he gets paid by the hour, so he checked it. Well, after that, everything was nice and quiet. But uh, we happen to know just about when this burglar was here. How come? Well, you see, Marty, this is an electric clock. It stopped at 11.10. By mistake, the burglar must have uh, knocked out the plug. Now, by the time the shots were fired and the burglar was here, it was 2 o'clock. Now, why should anybody be here over two hours? Riddle me that one, detective. Riddle me that one. Gargan later said, This was TV's early era, but a few people tried to make the casual intimacy of TV a sexual intimacy. The sight of a pretty woman with a touch of deep cleavage, a show of dye, became to these producers more important than the content of the show. The result was we often had pretty empty-headed girls blowing their lines all over the lot. In desperation, I began to mug for the camera more, and the scriptwriters began to write more blatantly. You get into a terrible rut this way. Everybody works harder to undo the damage, and the result is more screeching, overacting, and overwriting. It drives the viewers away, and to get them back, you come up with more and more desperate gimmickry. What was worse, to me, was the embarrassment. I'm no prude. Probably the best part I ever did on film was that of Joe, and they knew what they wanted. A wife-stealer. But this was just sleazy. The next season, the show's rating fell out of the top 30. By then, Gargan was good friends with New York's Cardinal Spellman. A friend of Gargan's mentioned that the Cardinal watched the show. Gargan went to the studio execs and told them to write better scripts or get another star. They got another star. Lloyd Nolan. After 85 weeks, Bill Gargan was no longer Martin Kane. Shortly after, Gargan signed a deal with Sonny Werblin, then of MCA, to do a new private eye show for NBC. The show would eventually be called Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. 